Star Wars session. Extra, extra, extra. Greetings, exalted ones, and welcome to this Star Wars Sessions Extra Spoiler Review of Shadow of the Sith by Adam Christopher. My name is Matt Hudson, aka Jabba the Hud, and I'm going to be giving my thoughts and opinions on the recently released canon novel by the aforementioned Adam Christopher, who was due to write a Mandalorian original novel uh, um, sometime last year, but that was shelved by Daryl Ray. I don't know if it's in favour of this, but this idea came up for Shadow of the Sith, and boy oh boy, am I glad that Adam Christopher sat down and wrote this book from his brain box. What do I think about this book? I'll tell you in a minute. But like I said up top, this is going to be a spoiler review of the book. It's only just come out, came out on the 28th of June. However, I feel like in order to talk about it, I kind of need to dive into the kind of the minutiae of it somewhat or the character motivations or the character identities in some cases i do have a non-spoiler review on our website starwarsessions.co.uk head to the blog section and you'll find my non-spoiler written review of shadow of the sith but if you want to hear what i thought more in depth or about specifics then here's the place for you to stick around and stay so as is customary with the book reviews, here comes the pats. Here it is. It's a big, beefy, thick boy. <laughs> Shadow of the Sith is. It's like 496 pages long. It's a big boy. But don't let that put you off. But thank you to the guys at Delray UK uh, Star Wars Books for sending me this copy. Uh, very much appreciate it as ever. And also I listened to the audiobook. I have been on a Shadow of the Sith binge recently those who know me know i like to read the book first because i can usually blast through that and then i like to go back and listen to it via the audiobook because if i do miss something then it's not quite so bad because i've already read about it me and audiobooks sometimes have a tumultuous relationship where if i'm driving and i take my eyes off my ears off the book sorry to you know concentrate on the road i you, you i think i miss like sections of the book and then i'm not going to go back and rewind it but when I've read the book, you know, I, I find it easy to kind of settle down and listen to it. Plus, I love the production on the books as well. So uh, let's get into what I thought about the book and the book itself. Up top, I think this book is really very good. Really very good. You know, you guys know I love the canon novels, you know, the comics, video games, whatever it might be. I love the connectivity in this rich universe, this galaxy far, far away. And Shadow of the Sith had a an important task to do, even if it wasn't necessarily a knowing task, in that this is set 13 years uh, prior to the events of The Force Awakens, so it's in really good time for a story. It's not necessarily shackled to the confines of the OT or the ST too much. It's kind of in that middle ground where it can play with these established characters like Luke Skywalker, like Lando Calrissian, for example, and there's enough leeway pre and post this book that it doesn't infringe too much on what we've seen or heard or read before so i think the time period was excellent for uh, this book and it works in the book's favor but at the same time as well it kind of knowingly managed to fill in the gaps more so or 
add a few more bricks to the house that the sequel trilogy starts to, to build, to put it in the most political sense, the most diplomatic way. You know, there's a lot of... It's not course correction whatsoever. I do not for any minute believe that Adam Christopher's job here was to right the wrongs of the sequel trilogy. I think that's an absolutely bonkers suggestion. And if you think that, then <laughs> I don't know what to say. What this book does is what any Star Wars uh, additional material should do. And it massages that material. We know what happens in episode 7, 8 and 9. And this book is a perfect, perfect way of adding seasoning to those moments, developing some characters, adding weight and emotion to events that we've already seen, which is what a, in this case, a book should do. You know, we, we know what happens. We know the end game for a lot of these characters. Adam Christopher is lucky in the sense that because, because we know, for example, the fate of Ray's parents here, he can add many emotional beats along the way of their adventure to reach safety and survival and also protect their dearly beloved six-year-old Ray. Uh, so Adam Christopher had that task, but he did it so well as well. It's easy just to say, oh, you know, story's already there right around it. No, 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 no. Adam Christopher builds upon the story and actually elevates parts of it and manages to retroactively make certain plot beats and certain narrative threads in the films better stronger maybe not better stronger is the word to use here so shadow of the sith just quickly what's it about the synopsis reads a short one anyway luke skywalker and lando carizian return in this essential novel essential novel set between return of the jedi and the force awakens the empire is dead nearly two decades after the battle of endor the tattered remnants of palpatine's forces have fled to the farthest reaches of the galaxy so there's a few things i took just from that essential novel should a novel be essential reading maybe maybe if it's all one big story yes i think this book actually becomes essential reading but we'll get to that the battle of endor it says what about the battle of jakku uh, the rise of skywalker kind of hastily rewrote his own story when it said yeah you know the battle of endor was the last big battle what about the battle about the jakku guys and that that synopsis is very spoiler free as we know from excerpts and from having read the book and social media doing the rounds. Yeah, Luke and Lando are in this. Luke is plagued by visions, by dark visions of a dark planet we now know as Exegol. Now, he senses something is wrong through the Force. He's on his Jedi Temple in it with Ben Solo. Ben Solo makes an appearance or two uh, on the planet of Ossus. That is the planet where Luke Skywalker's Jedi Temple has been erected on Ossus. And uh, Lando Carizian, he is still searching for his daughter, who was taken by the First Order when she was uh, when she was two years old. And we get the news here that Lando's daughter actually has a name, guys. She has a name, and it's Kadara. It's not Janna. It's Kadara Calrissian, and she was taken from Lando six years prior to the events of this book, and. You know, we're used to seeing the suave, cocky, confident, arrogant, cocksure, steadfast Lando from the previous films and books as well, to be fair, in comics. But here, we get that here, but, you know, there's a longing, there's a desperation, there's a kind of frenetic, kinetic energy in Lando's head where there's a guilt and there's a grief. You know, he wants to re reunite with his daughter, but there's a big galaxy and everywhere he goes, there are dead ends. So we get a lovely kind of juxtaposition of his 
you know mental state where he's at which is something we're not used to seeing of Lando and it's done really well and obviously the revelation that of his daughter's name Kadara we don't know who the mother is yet but I'm sure in the next novel or one of the next ones we'll find out more about or maybe even in the Lando series we'll find out about the mother of Kadara Calrissian uh, we also know that Ochi of Bestoon is in it uh, as I mentioned in my my non-spoiler review no longer is he the tangerine-faced goon seen only in holograms and flashbacks you know Ochi has been getting a life of his own in the Vader comics and the Crimson Rain comics and certainly here Ochi of Bestoon is haunted by well, himself basically he wants he needs to get to Exegol to heal himself he's seen what the power of that planet can do and he believes if he gets there he can heal and restore himself to what he once was after his skin got burnt away by a exploding kyber crystal on Exegol so uh, he needs to get there but in order to do so he has to find a way and it turns out the Sith Eternal are able to um, help him on his way there as is a character called kaiser who was in the aftermath trilogy of books by chuck wendig as one of the acolytes of the beyond and one of the things i love about the, the canon recently is how much is proving that the oft maligned aftermath trilogy certainly the first book how integral and how strong it is and how pivotal it is in this particular time in the galactic era the timeline sorry the stuff that's happening in those books are being referenced in so many other mediums of course you know Cobb Vant being one of them the Acolytes of the Beyond are brought up here and there uh, events and locations from those books are brought up um, and here we get Kaiser one of the Acolytes of the Beyond who in the, in those books adorned a mask which imbued her with Sith powers which is something that we've also seen in the um comics as well with Darth Momin who gets a name drop in this but she uh, she's wearing this mask which as, as I say fills her with darkness it talks to her it's full of the sounds of a thousand screams and painful anguished moans and cries of torment and it's the mask of a dude called Viceroy Exim Panshard who is also um, mentioned in those aftermath books and he's a bad dude, you know, he's a bad dude, a bad ruler. And all of the tragedy and pain that he inflicted during his life is absorbed within this mask. And there's also the idea and the nod that Palpatine is pulling the strings on everyone from afar. There are voices being heard at times, not just one, but there are voices. And, you know, could one of them be Papa Palps? from beyond the veil beyond the void and palpatine uh yeah <laughs> yeah it could be uh so kaiser is a big antagonist in this in this novel and she wields the, the lightsaber of darth noctis as well which is so cool it's like a scimitar lightsaber and her standoffs with luke in a separatist ship and there's a and, and there's a um one of the, the oil refinery in rebels makes an appearance as well plus her the way she goes out in this book like she's uh the, the once the power of the mask is shattered by luke skywalker you know her well, sure she, in, in a battle with luke she is um she's killed when you know the places falling apart around them it's um it's destructing upon them uh, and she is killed when a bit of the brief falls on her and ends up stabbing her through the heart but the mask 
you know, it, it, the mask isn't having that. It kind of it, it finds its way back onto her and um, her base uh, and Exim Panshard basically takes over her corpse and reanimates her corpse into fighting uh, on this iced planet or planet which has a crystalline floor with sea monsters underneath it, which is as cool as it sounds. Uh, and Luke, you know, makes makes short work of of them or them. Uh, and Kaiser is eventually eaten, but her or her corpse is eaten by one of the sea monsters and dragged into the water. So she's not coming back. Really well thought out scene. I get to that shortly. Uh, and of course, Ray's parents. Ray's parents are on the run from Ochi of Bestoon, from hunters who want something that's very important. Their child, the child of Palpatine. Ray. Uh, so, as as the as the internet has said, and the experts have said, we now have names for Ray's parents, and her father is called Dathan, and her mother is called Miramir, Miramir, which is very Lord of the Rings. Dathan and Miramir, and they're they're on the run from the bad guys, basically. And their story throughout is one of desperation, survival, ingenuity. Uh, love, you know, Pat, you know, they clearly love each other and they'd do anything for their daughter and the way that is portrayed is done really, really well. But there's that overhanging sense of tragedy because you know they're not going to get out of their bind. You know they're not going to get away with it. And there are so many moments in this that Adam Christopher cruelly makes us believe that they are going to get out of it. Um, but when they meet their fate, as we see in The Rise of Skywalker, we see that, uh, we read about it in the book, it is done like beat for beat as well as they did it in the Rise of Skywalker, but it's just added upon. Now the, we, we, it's more than just a flashback. Now they're more than just nameless nobodies. They are, you know, fleshed out characters of development with backstories, with birth planets, with a rest, final resting place. Now, Ochi shows just how cruel he is in this book by just stabbing both of them and then just shoving them in a in a container and putting a tracking beacon in there for a, basically for a laugh, is in his own words. Because he knows that the, the those who are tracking them will follow the beacon and find their you know dead, bloodied corpses, which of course they do. Lando finds it, and they're given a final resting place. So they are afforded respect; they're not just left out in space. And I think that that was a very powerful scene when Lando reflects on a moment because he thinks he's failed. You know, he's gone on this trip to save. Ray basically he, he overhears Oatry hammered in a bar saying talking about kidnapping kids of course it's going to pique Lando's interest and along the way he hears about the Sith have returned so he tells Luke Skywalker about it because the last Jedi and all but in this scene when they're laying Ray's parents to rest in Orlando basically breaks down you know I failed them and, and a lot of behind that is obviously he still hasn't found his daughter and there's a little girl out there now who's going to be all by herself on Jakku, which we know she's on, but nobody else does. Um, and that's a really touching moment. And we also find out how Ochi ends up on Persana. Ankar Pluck gave Miramir some uh, some beads from the Aki Aki on Persana. So if worse comes to worse, she would say to Ochi, look, she's on Persana. You know, I've been here's the beads. I've been there. He sees the beads on her dead body and actually he goes to Persano and ends up as he does in the sinking fields. Really, really well done. These scenes mean so much more now because of what is in this book. But, you know, that's the, that's the kind of intercutting stories here. Luke and Lando, separately at times, but together. Ochi, the Sith Eternal, uh, Ray's parents. Ray doesn't really get an awful lot to do in this, but she's six, but we see 
Uh, we don't really see much from her point of view, but we see that she is loved and we see that, you know, she's just an innocent kid caught up in the crosshairs of this um, galactic search for her. But So those stories all kind of come together and twist and turn until they come to a head. And I think they're done really, really well how they how they manage to intersect and then come come together at the end without feeling like you know contrivances were in place to make that happen i think adam christopher does a really good job of making everything feel natural and make everything feel like it it works everything feels organic and uh another thing that felt organic i've got to say is the appearances and name drops and connections in this we get connections to afterlife to the lando comic vader crimson rain obviously the sequel trilogy battlefront 2 uh we get some connections to get to those shortly uh, the adventures in wild space and star wars adventures comics get a uh get a nod and a shout out as well so the character of lena graf in that those comics which i thought was just so cool that they brought her in but i did get a little bit excited when lando calls up his old buddy shriv sergav from battlefront 2 and ask him to get some information for him i love that shriv it's Shriv, man. I love Shriv, the way he's been embraced by the fans, how he was in Resistance Reborn as well, another book that utilised canon connections so well. It was great to see Shriv. And the and the compass that Luke found on Pilio is mentioned as well. And look, we get name drops here, as I mentioned, for the Acolytes of the Beyond, the Sith Eternal, Ben Solo uh, is, is in this Shriv. But also, Law Santeca, is is in this he's one of the church of the force he's helping luke been helping luke on their galactic travels to find jedi and sith relics for for study and for safekeeping and at one point he says to ben solo you're going to become a great jedi and you think in about 13 years he's going to kill you in cold blood but keep thinking that old man um depper belabra and mace windu are in this but in the flashback ochi is a jedi killer jedi hunter from way back when in the clone wars so we get a sequence where he's hunting Depa Balaba, but Mace Windu finds him first, and that's cool. Um, Anakin Skywalker, I, I sound unsurprised because that was in the first excerpt, and it's been out there for a while, but the excerpt we've got doesn't quite do justice because when Luke sees Anakin again on Tython, which in terms of the canon was seen in uh, The Mandalorian Season 2, you know he sees a pained and tortured Anakin. Anakin's trying to hold back the darkness trying to hold back the spirits and the shadow from getting to Luke and it's you know it's affecting his ability to manifest as a force ghost and he eventually fades away but we get a really cool moment between father and son so that was uh that really enriched the story never does doesn't feel shoehorned in um Revan and Plagueis get a name drop you know vo- the voices state stating these names of Sith from uh eons past and uh others whose names i couldn't quite catch but there's about five others in there as well um kira lady kira again just a very quick name drop about who ochi's worked with um but in terms of the sequel trilogy beaumont kin played by dominic monaghan he is an archaeologist for the lurked university and he's at a dig on yoturba a place where luke and law santeca go because there's word that a t- new temple has been uncovered and so beaumont kin is there and that's cool to see him enric pride um allegiant general pride richard lee grant he gets a couple of chapters as well uh, and this is what i love about his books you know you like, now when i see pride i'll think of these chapters and you know the his kind of just disgust and disdain at having to be in the same 
room or vicinity as someone as foul as Ochi of Bestoon and they, you know these characters aren't just in their film and that's it they're one and done we're, we're getting more about them and I'll always say and I'll always repeat like a broken record this is what the books and comics and video games and everything should be doing and they do so well it's not it's not necessarily to retell the stories of what we've seen before or um, or right the wrongs of them or even to have these huge moments in them and maybe say that they'll always be safe for the streaming or the films but to add backstory to develop to to add meat to the bones and this is what this book does so well in just to just in those appearances but even like the moments of notes ray's birthplace is confirmed as hypercon we we kind of learned that the new republic similar to how they were in man though are very bureaucratic very stuffy you know we think they're going to bring this kind of uh, great freedom and independence but you know they're just as uh administrative and if not more than the empire you know they're not very helpful when they're called into practice uh do and how he's mistreated by otri i mean that is actually quite that was quite sad to read of do just being beaten around and having his head his his cone head like stamped into the ground and thrown into walls that was quite sad but redemption in the rise of skyhawk we find why he's a bit skittery at the start um again en- enric pride pride once had a jacket made from the pelts of an ewok family because you know a bit like cruella de vil he wanted to feel he wanted to feel luxurious in his evil uh the carizian chronicles not only do they get a mention they get a new chapter at the very end as well when lando's settling down on persana uh, now we know why lando was on persana not just because he's just waiting about it's because he found it was a he hadn't searched that sector for his daughter so he found it to be a great base of operations plus it was quiet unassuming the aki aki were you know non-intrusive and it was a place where he could settle down chill basically but also you know do his bidding and try and search for his daughter and at the same time if ochi of bestoon is alive he will find him because at this time obviously ochi's in the sinking sand they found his ship but they can't find him so the trail has gone cold but lando's happy to hang around and wait for him to try and get word from him but he also has his own motives so now it makes sense as to why lando's just hanging around on persona and also why persona is such a big deal and how ochi got there in the first place so there's a a lot of major major moments in this you know ray's parents dathan and miramir the struggle and determination is the heart and soul of this book they they are the fabulously written especially miramir and i could picture now jodie comer in the role and the dude who plays palpatine's son um dathan we got we find out how he escapes off of exegol and the fact that we already knew that palpatine basically hated him but he's not a clone though he's a strand cast which was mentioned in the trust novelization but it does say you know he's not a clone he's not genetic there's no genetic enhancements he is just created from a genetic template which I thought was quite cool that he's just not just a clone. He's gen- genetically created, but not a clone. Um, and we also find out that he could be worth something because people are wondering, you know, why do people want this family? Not everybody knows why this family is so important and why there is such a need for them to, to be found. But there's, you know, when people, when th- his identity comes out, and it's discovered by a dude called here we go Zargo Anaximander what a cool name that is kind of finds out that he's a strand cast and that and where he's born he's like hmm this you know this could be interesting 
know, whatever this dude's backstory is, this could be worth more money than we're originally offered. So little moments like that, which are, which in which in, which I um, come out over time of the book, really, really good, really good for the story, really great for character development as well. Uh, Luke's journey for his relics, we find out more about where he's been, what he's doing with them, that he's got them on on the planet of Ossus, where the Jedi Temple is that we saw in the Mandalorian. Will they play into the into the story later on? Are these corrupted Sith relics part of the reason how, of why Palpatine was able to get to Ben Solo via the energy being uh, emanating from them? Um, and his calling to Exegol, you know, he's being called to this planet, but he doesn't quite know why. Exegol now is no longer just this odd planet that they quickly threw together for the Rise of Skywalker. Now he's getting so much backstory development. Um, it wouldn't know more so than I'm more so than here. It's done very, very well here. You get this you know, the history and the lore of the planet as well as the Sith. So beautifully done. So gothic, so dark at times, but it's so well interwoven with the rest of the story. Uh, Ochi, backstory for him, but the dagger. The much maligned Sith blade gets so gets much further depth in this as well. It, it has a taste for blood. It's Ochi's is a stabbing machine in this book. He stabs everyone he can find, and the, the and the knife's loving it, it's loving absorbing all these details and how he gets it. Given it by given the blade by Kaiser and the acolytes and some kind of like blood oath. That was very cool. Um, and the, yeah, the Jedi Temple on on Ossus. Uh, we find out more about what's going on there and that Ben Solo leads some of the uh, training to the to the younglings, the other Padawans and they, they quite like him doing it he's f- clearly a popular dude uh, on that planet So, but the relationships throughout are brilliant we don't really see Luke and Lando that much together here we get you know they're, they're opposites, you know, one's a one's a pie animal, the other one's a Jedi but they've got a friendship, you know, I mean, they've got a bond a connection and they are great friends and I love how they play off against each other. Lando pours Luke a drink, and when he leaves, the drink's still untouched because that's Luke. And at the end, he's like, hey, look, I'll buy you a drink. Maybe this time you'll drink it. And Luke's like, yeah, we'll see. Uh, I, I love those kind of like fun moments. There's good bits of banter throughout as well. As well, throughout the emotion, one of the drinks is called a Red Dwarf, which is a very popular British comedy, which is set in space from the 80s and 90s. Um but there's just so many little moments in this book, which, which is what I took from it. Not just the big, huge moments, but you know the little moments like those ones I've mentioned, the character moments. These kind of what happened to these characters? What are they being getting up to pre meeting them in in the films? Uh, relationships like Lorne Sateka and Ben Solo, things which you know might not sound like a lot, but when you hear you know, look what you've become and stuff like that or whatever, look how old you've become in The Force Awakens, suddenly it takes on new meaning and that's something I'll always be grateful for with these kind of books. Uh, the action and adventure is very good, very well written a lot of people have uh, compared it to Legends material well I can't really argue with that even though I wasn't the biggest fan of Legends material, I see where they're coming from, It, it this stays uh, it feels epic, cinematic, grand, wacky at times. Uh, the battle scenes or the action, the fights are well written. My one of my main criticisms of the book, though, is sometimes things can be overwritten, which can stall some of the momentum that this book carries so well. Um, and you know, there's really, really, don't have too many complaints about the book in general. Really, gen- genuinely, don't. I, don't, you know, I, I always, I, my critical mind can't help looking for things, but there wasn't really an awful lot about it which 
oh, which I kind of thought, yeah, that's not great. You know, I say some of these things are overly described, which caused um, the momentum to slow somewhat. A few chapters felt rushed. Some of them were very short because they were character POVs, and they felt very short, which, which again kind of stopped the momentum a little bit. And I think Crowd and Christopher really managed to juggle the story as well because we are galaxy hopping. You know, at one point you'll be on, you know, it's just called Kaiser's Kaiser's Planet. It's all it's called because you don't know where it is yet. The next we're on a separatist hold. You know, then then we're on Ossus, and then we're on Pisana, we're on Jakku. You know, it's, it's, it's going all over the place, but I never felt lost. I never felt like I couldn't understand or work out what was happening. And the new characters that came in, I, um, I vibed with them. I got their motivations. I didn't feel again lost with all of these new characters coming in. They're not all new, like Kaiser. She's new. She'll be new to some, but for those who have followed the books and this journey, really, to the sequel trilogy, it's a satisfying inclusion and a satisfying payoff having her in there and finding out more about the Sith history and lore that's tied into her character. Awesome. Awesome. So like I say, there's not really too much that I didn't like. I wanted, I want to find more things because I think obviously for the balance of it all, but you know, I'm not going to find stuff just for the sake of it. I think the, 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 the film, the book opens brilliantly with a section of text, which is lifted directly from Matt Stover's revenge of the Sith novel, which I think is great. Um, and then we, we just, we're straight in you know, with, uh, with Dathan, Miramir and, and Ray, and it's so cool to finally get stories about these characters, especially Ray, and that. So it's not we're not just, but we're not just having what we have in the films and kind of having to rely on that. Now we're getting much more, and I really, really, really like that. So there's loads of things in this that I haven't mentioned, like other interactions, character interactions, because there's, there's there's too much. Like I said it's almost 500 pages, but it doesn't feel long. Like I said, there's a momentum for 95% of this book that thunders through. You don't feel like you're reading this huge tome. It's a really, really, really quick read, I found. Uh, as for the audiobook, very good production, as usual. The, the sound design is excellent, and the use of music for 90% of the time is great. Sometimes I did wonder why certain pieces of music were used in certain moments. But uh, this one, it wasn't narrated this time by... Mark Thompson. Instead, we have the vocal talents of William Demerit this time around. And um, the audiobook is good. Obviously, the story is great because it's the same as in the book, OBS. But some of the some of the decisions made around the voices were very, very odd indeed. Ochi of Bestoon sounds mental. I Ochi of Best Soon sounds like he's having the Mickey taken out of him the whole time. He's going to read voice and shout an awful lot like this. And I'm like, damn, they really have made him out to be a clown. Um, which I, I really, und- you know, look, what makes me, uh, doesn't make me quite as mad is Beaumont Kin is like French or Russian in this. Like a, he's literally in the film. You know, Secrets Only the Sith Noon all that. He literally talks. Yet here, here, he's French or Russian or like a mix of both of them. He sounds like Janosch from Ghostbusters 2 which is hilarious at times so that took me out because I was like this is every time he was talking I thought it was someone else I was like no well, I was Beaumont wow don't know why they didn't just use the same voice that they did in the film uh, and a couple of other character choices were a bit odd but I think you know for the most part the characters of Luke, Lando uh, race parents all done very well uh, but yeah Beaumont Kin sounded tr- frankly dreadful let's just call it what it is abhorrent 
Uh, and that's what softens the blow of Oak Tree sounding like a complete gimp. Oak Tree sounded awful, but of course, because Bonewalk Kin was so bad, knowing what we know, it makes it makes me think, well, that is an Oak Tree's voice, because we know that's not Bonewalk Kin's voice, that ain't Oak Tree's actual voice, you know, it was just a, it was just a parody, it was an impression of it, and I'd like to imagine it was something a little bit more menacing next time, but... Um, it is what it is. Audio book's always great, but the sound design, especially when we're in the mind of Kaiser, the sound design was superb, as well as on Exegol as well. The sound design was excellent. Um, so yeah, I can't really recommend this book highly enough. Everyone is haunted by something in this book. It is at times a, a darker book. You know, there are dark moments in this book, and everybody has something weighing on their shoulders. Like I said whether that's Ray's parents and the fear of capture, Luke's dark visions of a Sith return, uh, Lando's pain searching for his daughter, Ochi's need for healing and restoration, and what he'll do to get there. Everybody is carrying a burden of some sort, but it's how they get from through their journey is the most fascinating, and everybody gets an arc, everyone gets a journey, and it's so well done. So, you know, even characters like Ochi, who once just a goon from the film, suddenly is much more menacing if not slightly bumbling presence in these books you know like you know he's playing up to his reputation so um yeah if, if you like the canon novels in general i think you're going to like this i think you're gonna love this if you love books that are connective a bit like resistance reborn you're gonna love this you'll be you'll be hollering at some of the connections in this book if you like the rise of skywalker you're gonna love this but if you didn't like The Rise of Skywalker, and you guys know where I sit on this, I'm ambivalent on it somewhat. I've kind of like a lot of the rough edges have been smoothed out now upon rewatch, but the film will always have flaws. You know, the film will, for me, for me personally, the film will always have flaws. But I can't wait to rewatch it now, having read this book. I think this is going to add so much weight to that film. And again, it's not writing the wrongs, it's not course correcting, because you, you know, you can't. That film is always going to have flaws. Can't get past that. But now, moments that were just simple flashbacks or holograms or quick lines thrown out or or characters who turned up and went as quickly as they arrived. Now we know more about them. Now I can bring that with me to the film. And I do feel feel bad for people who won't read this book because they're not going to have that um, extra knowledge, which should never be essential. No additional material should ever need to be consumed in order to enjoy something. And that's not what Shadow the Sith does more the opposite no, it, it it adds extra enjoyment for those who maybe weren't quite as keen on that film without ever saying look you've got to read this book you have to read it we release this as like the, the prequel to the rise of skywalk or something it's not like that but it adds so much more to that film and you know i can't wait to watch it you know this film this book sorry delivers big moments that's going to ripple throughout star wars storytelling for years to come Ray's parents ochi Luke, Lando, the search for his daughter, the Sith Eternal Exegol, Palpatine's return, all this kind of stuff. It's going to be, uh, it's going to be referenced and we're going to be coming back to this book a lot and be like, oh, that was first mentioned here or that character came from there. Similar to how we're having with Aftermath and stuff like that. And I'm all here for it. I'm all here for it. I think Adam Christopher did a wonderful job, fantastic job of writing this book, of having the unenviable task of, you know, adding meat to those bones but I think he did it excellently without ever feeling indulgent or like things are being shoehorned in everything felt natural everything felt organic and everything felt so damn good as well uh, I'm not going to 
I thought this book was excellent. I've given it a 4.75 out of 5 stars on my review. And I highly recommend it to anybody out there. Even those who don't usually read the books. And if you're listening this far in, cheers. Appreciate that. But you know, there's so much here to enjoy. Plus, it, you know, you get Luke and Lando. You get a solid adventure of just them. Take the Rise of Skywalker out of this. This is just a good book anyway. Good adventure book. Good mystery adventure. And gothic horror at times. Now, that's, that's a bit of me. I'm here for that. Shadow of the Sith was as good as I hoped it'd be. I was very excited for this since it was announced. It lived up to expectations. I hope everybody gets a chance to read it or at least skim through the Wikipedia if you're not going to read it but just to get the bare bones of this story because I think it's going to have implications going forward. And I, for one, cannot wait to see what they will be. So, Adam Christopher, good job. And we hope to see you again in the galaxy far, far away writing more stories. And if they can be anywhere near as good as this, we are in for a treat. But that is going to be it then for this review of Star Wars Shadow of the Sith. I hope you enjoyed my review. I'd love to know what you thought. I'd love to know if you liked this book, hated it, ambivalent, not going to read it. Might pick it up now, actually. Let us know at starwarsessions.co.uk or follow us across all the socials. Just search Star Wars Sessions and you'll find us there. And you know the drill. If you like what you're hearing, if you like what we do here, please consider signing up to our Patreon, patreon.com forward slash Star Wars Sessions for $2 a month. You get individual shows from me and Luke, plus you get a podcast where we just talk Star Wars in the loosest, most fantastic fashion. There's commentaries, watch-alongs, giveaways, other stuff going on there. Plenty of filth for you to get dirty with. Uh, but if you want to support us for free, you can do by leaving us a five-star rating or review on your podcast provider of choice, including Spotify. Uh, that's, a, as I mentioned, a free and quick way to send us a bit of love. And we appreciate every single one of you who has already done that. So thank you, everyone, for listening. Take care. Enjoy the book if you read it. And until next time, from me, see ya.